this is not your mother's middle age. No longer is waking up each day, living the wash, rinse, and repeat cycle acceptable. We have the life lessons, the relationships, the wins, and the losses with which to navigate to our highest self without hesitation and without fear leading the way. We have been there and done that, and so we have so much to offer the world and each other. So join me on this journey speaking to ordinary women doing extraordinary things for new insights, new ideas, new medical breakthroughs, and new life lessons. You will be inspired to find your best life here and now. My name is Wendy Charles McGuire, and this is your Second Wind Podcast. Today, I'm sitting with George Dillard of the Peachtree City Christian Church. Yeah. PTC3 is how you find it. And I met George randomly because the minister we had lined up to marry my daughter last May had COVID. Yeah. And I reached right. out to friends say, I don't go to church. What am I going to do? <laughs> <laughs> and a friend of mine is a friend of yours yes. and works here in the church. Is said, oh let me call George. And as it turned out, I didn't even think of it, but your wife, Renee, yeah. had already been on the podcast and talked about how she was helping when COVID started right, yeah. with the laundry baskets, baskets and bringing lots snacks, of food yeah. and snacks and offering support. And then some of the struggles she's had in your family and all these things and, and how she stays positive as the wife of the guy. Man. Wife of the guy. Of a guy. Of a guy yeah. that does the stuff. Right. So I, since, and working with you and my daughter and my now son-in-law, loved your presence, loved what you said. And I said, oh, I guess I should start going to church because I could relate. And so I come when I can. But if I can't come because of work, I listen and watch on Live. On the live, the YouTube thing. Yeah. And it works Wait, out yeah. great. And I get the I get the lessons and I, I go to work kind of feeling better about everything and how will I apply it. But my goal with Second Wind, one of the reasons I started this podcast was to find out and answer questions of life, why, the why, the how, why are we here? And a lot of people feel that way. And one of the big questions I asked you when we were talking was like, well, how do you know? And <laughs> ha, ha, why do you believe it? Have you always believed? Yeah. So, because I really want to believe and I want to go there. But the I, reason I'm laughing. Uh, yeah, you're well, laughing. Well, the reason I'm <laughs> laughing is because one of the things I tell people all the time is knowing why does not always make it better. Mm. See, we think it does. You know, we always want to know why, 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 why. Yeah. But I tell people so. What if God spoke to you and you said, God, why did you do this? And he said, well, because you're so stupid, you wouldn't have got it any other way. That was the only way you're going to get it. That wouldn't necessarily make you feel better. Correct. Okay. <laughs> you know, that the maker of heaven and earth thinks you're dumb. Uh, but, you know, <laughs> no, but seriously, I just really truly believe that knowing why is not always better because everything is so connected. Mm that it's impossible really to pin down a single thing as to why. I learned this years and years ago when I was standing at the back door of the church as we used to do, and this guy came out and just blasted me about church music. I mean, just let me have it. And I remember as a 25-year-old pastor, standing there listening to this guy just lay me, you know, I mean, up one side, down, down the other. other. You know, told me if the hymnal was good enough for Paul and Silas, it was good enough for him. You know, and I remember thinking consciously, this can't be what's really bothering him. Mm. Because church music is like 20 minutes of your week. Yeah. And if it's bothering you so much that you have to lash out, then... You've got it made. Not, yeah. I mean, you got it made. If that's the worst thing that's happening to your week. Right. Is this 20 minutes In of music. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And so yeah. I learned then, usually what's bothering people is not really what they ask about or they want to have a conversation about. 
or they even want, sometimes they even want to think about. And so when we ask why, a lot of times I think it's just, we want to feel better. Mm, yeah. I feel better about what I like to say is a lot of people want to feel better about what they're, they've already decided they're willing to believe, mm. you know, I yeah. just want to be right. Right. Tell me I'm right. Right. You know, and I'm not right. Well, it's like the yeah. questions I was asking. All the time. Yeah. Like, like you're here and then you're not. So how it's hard for the human mind to wrap around that. And one of the things I found with this podcast as I've been going along and why we're sitting here today right. is the first episode I had, the gal was speaking, LaWanda Kent was speaking about like towards the end, her God, her Lord, and how that he gave her strength and all this stuff. And at that point I hadn't, I, I kind of yeah. did one of these, like, yeah. uh-oh, is that going to be a hot topic? Is that going to, yeah. and then at the end she's like, oh, should I have said that? And I said, you know what? That's your story. Of course you should have said that. Right. And I kind of said, whatever comes up, comes up for a reason. And I have felt that way. And pretty, I would say everyone who's been on the podcast, there is, as you said, a connectivity. And it's higher source, power, energy, whatever you want to call it, it yeah. has always been a motivating force of the people who have found a bigger, better purpose for themselves and for their lives and to serve others it has been everyone who's been on this podcast. And I think that's what we're all trying to strive for is we're here on this earth to do what? And then when the last breath is taken, we want to feel good about that. And what that looks like. And it's sometimes it's depressing to think you, you don't know. So I dive into the whole near-death experience thing, th thinking that that's going to help. Oh, well, they saw this and this and this, and that sounds pretty good. I could probably go there, you know, and stuff like that. But before we dive into that, how did you even get started with something that, I mean, it's not proven? <laughs> Well, right? It's well, not nothing, proven. Well, nothing is really proven, is it? Okay. I mean, think about it. You can't prove that 45 minutes ago you walked through those doors over there. You can't prove it, you know. Somebody might say, well, there's some video, you know, you got video surveillance yeah. equipment. Well, what if it's CGI'd? I mean, you know, so there's nothing that is absolutely positively provable. You know, I love the English language because it is so fluid and so archaic and adequate, mm -hmm. but, but everybody in the world uses it, you know, and it has rules except where the rules don't apply. Like, you know, I before E except after C yeah. weird, huh? Yeah. Yeah. And, <laughs> yeah. 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 And so, so here's the thing. I know there's a sun, even when I don't see it. Okay. Right. 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 I know there's oxygen even though I can't touch it. Mm -hmm. Now, you know, I know there is life, even though I can't fully define it. Okay. Yeah. And why, why do I believe any of those things? Because somebody has told me. Therein lies the thing. Well, and so then you have to trust the person who's telling you. So let's, you know? let's go down that rabbit hole. Okay. So you grew up, you were telling me, you're the oldest son oldest of five. five. Well, four boys and a girl. Okay. Four boys four and boys a princess. And a princess. Yeah. <laughs> and your father, you said when you were young, sort of had an awakening. Yeah, like I was like 18 months old. That's pretty young. Yeah. Well, yeah. My dad was in the Navy when I was born. He got out not long after I was born, and he and my mom came back to Atlanta, which was, you know, my dad is a fourth-generation Atlanta boy, and you know, they settled in and my mom had drunk, gone to church there close to where they moved to. And so as soon as they moved back, she started going to church. She started inviting him every Sunday, you know, won't you go to church with your son and I? And he went one Sunday. And I think he, honestly, I think he went just so she would shut up. Yeah, probably. You know? And <laughs> uh, just leave him alone. And the preacher said this, you know, if Jesus is not real, then what's the worst that can happen, you know? Hmm. But if he is real and we don't embrace, you know, his grace, his mercy, his forgiveness and love, then that, that has a huge impact. And so he said, you know what? I'm going to give my life 
to Jesus. And well, my dad was, I don't think it was just like that. See, that's what I was talking about earlier. You know, why, why did he do that? Well, his parents, they went to church nominally, you know, so he had some of that, his great grandfather, you know, was very, I've got his Bible, you know, he was very plugged in to the whole discipleship of Jesus, you know, model. And so all, you know, all of those things are connected, but the apostle Paul says, you know, one person plants another waters, Mm. but God makes it grow. And so Mm. the seed was planted long enough. It was watered enough. And then it grew over that day. My dad was always the kind of person that, you know, he believed in giving your best effort, whatever you did. You don't have to do it perfectly. You just do your best. Do your best. You know? And so that's what he did. He said, you know, if I'm going to be a follower of Jesus, then I'm going to be the best follower of Jesus that I can. Wow. So, you know, I grew up in a home where my dad owned a hardware store, but he had like three sets of Bible commentaries and he studied the Bible every day. And he didn't only study it, he also practiced it. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I mean. Yeah. He, but he kept learning, kept growing, kept, yeah. kept maturing. And so, you know, by the time I was nine years old, I mean, I had been in church every Sunday yeah. of my life. In fact, I'm 63 years old and by actual count, I think I've missed church six times in 63 years. Wow. You know, yeah. <laughs> That's uh, incredible. Well, that's because incredible. my dad, not, be, you know, not because I have to. See, that's the thing. I was talking to our 18 to 30 group last night, and I told them, I was like, see, one of the big shifts is, and this probably can understand this a lot better than some people who've grown up in the church, but when you make the shift between what you have to do and what you get to do, mm, yeah. it changes things. It does change things. You know? And so. Changes everything. Yeah. I I don't have to do anything. I get to do a lot of stuff. Yeah. So I was raised up in that environment that it was a blessing. To be able to do it. So you were surrounded by the church and grew up with it yeah you were going you missed only six six sundays and 63 years and that's the whole you don't have to you get to get tidy you know that's sure i don't have to do it i get to do it you know because i believe that there is a god who loves us okay cares for us and you also grew up your father i love that story you told me that your father would put together these gigantic baskets. Yeah. We'd go to the farmer's market over in Forest Park. He would buy these baskets. They were about that big around, about that deep. And they had uh, red and green, you know, woven yeah. into them. They had metal handles on it. I remember that because uh-huh. it's kind of tough for little hands, you know. Mm. And when I was younger, like, 10, 11, and my brother was eight and nine, you know, we would each carry a side because at Thanksgiving, my dad would put these turkeys, frozen turkey, and he would put all the provisions, right? Yeah, all the provisions for a Thanksgiving meal and then a bunch of fruit. It cracked me up because he loved kumquats. I don't know if you you even know what a kumquat is. Yeah. He loved kumquats. And so at Christmas time, everybody would get a basket with a little bag of kumquats in it. And I'm thinking, you know, most of those people are like going, what is this? But at Thanksgiving, he would make like 50 of these baskets and Thanksgiving and Christmas, Thanksgiving and Christmas, we would load them up and we would take them to people who were struggling financially or some other thing going on in their life. Maybe, you know, somebody significant passed away or something like that. And we would put them on the porch and we would knock on the door and run away. Yeah. So that nobody would know. Nobody would know. Why'd you run? Yeah. So nobody would know. And it was like a big game for us, you know, kids. And then of course, as I grew older and, you know, into my teens and everything, I began to understand why we were doing what we were doing. But my dad, he really modeled it for me. 
And your yeah. father was a pillar in the community. And you yeah. came from a lineage of politicalness. <laughs> yeah. Was, well, so I tell people, if your family has been in the state of Georgia for more than four generations, I'm probably related to you. <laughs> because, I mean, honestly, most people don't get this, but in 1830, Atlanta wasn't even a city. Mm. You know, it was a wide spot in the road, literally. It was terminus. It was a place where the railroads came together. And so, you know, by the time Atlanta was born, New York had been around for 200 years. Oh, wow. Let's put it like that. That's yeah. interesting. Yeah. yeah. I didn't know that. Right. So in 1936, when my daddy was born, mm -hmm. and my grandmother, my great-grandmother owned a house there on Edgewood Avenue, right off of Five Points, 814 Edgewood Avenue. Everybody knew everybody. Everybody knew everybody. And I've got a book in my office entitled Fielding Dillard and His Descendants. <laughs> Fielding Dillard was the beginning point for my side of the Dillard family in Georgia. Okay. Okay. And in the back of the book is about that thick. Oh my God. Yeah. And in the back of that book is a, you know, an appendix with all of the names of all the families that are connected to the Dillards in there. And my wife and I, we've been afraid to, you know, cause she's a Barnes and there are Barnes in there. So we haven't explored that. Too much. Oh, yeah. <laughs> We may be cousins. Uh, you know, I mean, you know, so a lot of people that we grew up in, this may not mean anything to a lot of people that are listening, but Herman Talmadge, his father was Eugene Talmadge, who was governor of Georgia, who really kind of brought Georgia into the 20th century. Uh, I'm not saying he was an altogether decent person, morally and ethically, but when he became governor, like, only like 20% of the roads in Georgia were paved. And when he left yeah. the governor's office, like 65% of the roads. He was forward thinking. He was, he was forward thinking. But anyway, my great grandmother changed his diaper. Wow. Yeah. Because he's a cousin, you know, Herman the third is a cousin of mine. And, you know, we stay connected on Facebook and stuff like that. But So lots of yeah. people, lots of avenues and it's interesting. So you're going through life and you're into it all. You like it. You said it was great. Yeah. You worked really hard in the hardware store yeah. and your father treated everyone with respect. Yeah. My dad. you to do the same. When my dad went into the hardware business in the sixties, there were two hardware stores in Fairburn. Oddly enough, at that time, they were right next door to each other. Hmm. And so the one hardware store did not allow people of color come in the front door mm. and my dad allowed everybody to come in the front door and actually you know my dad took some heat for that i mean they somebody threw a brick through one of the store yeah. windows you know with some not nice stuff on it yeah but my dad was like i don't answer to people answer to god and god told me everybody matters everybody has value wow that's yeah. that's beautiful that's amazing back, yeah. back then. Yeah. And you're but in the South. The, but you're that's, in the South. Yeah, in the South, you know. But as I said earlier, you know, the why is not just because my dad was some, you know, intellectual or pioneer. It's because when he was born, right after, you know, four years after he was born, my grandfather's in the Navy fighting World War II. My grandmother's working. And this woman of color named Jimmy raised my dad. Till he was like 12 years old, she was his caretaker, you know? And the first time I ever saw my dad cry was we visited Jimmy in her home a week before she passed. Uh -huh. So he loved her, had experienced love from her. And so he was able to decipher, you know, through life experiences and what he was learning through the word of God, that skin color really doesn't matter. really doesn't matter. Yeah. Right. You know, when I went to Ghana the very first time, they called me Bruni, which means pink. <laughs> so I'm not white. I'm actually pink. But, you know, somebody said it way before me, but three centimeters down, we're all the same. Oh, absolutely. Because yeah. you're still the same. Yeah. Doesn't show yeah. color. Right. And so if it doesn't matter to God, my dad's, philosophy was if it does matter to God, it should matter to us. Right. 
And so everybody respected my dad, except the people that were so far gone. Right. You know, the superiority of the races and all that kind of stuff. Those were the ones throwing bricks. Right. But the, the everyday people, they knew, you know, they knew my dad was somebody that they could depend on to do the right thing. And, and, but you, but you never thought that you weren't thinking like when you were in high school and college and you were playing football and things like that, you were going to end up preaching. No, even though it was part of your life, it wasn't really. Yeah, I told God I would. Told God I would honestly do anything that He wanted me to do except preach. Huh? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and why would you even say that though? Right? Because, Why would you even say because I preach? Because I knew that's what he wanted me to do. Oh, you knew in your gut? Yeah. What'd that look like? How old were you? I was nine. You were nine when you yeah. knew? Yeah. They do say between the ages of seven and nine, somewhere in there, seven and 12, that era, that the things you love to do and the things you believe in generally are the direction you're supposed to go in. I've yeah. heard this. Yeah. That's I, very interesting. Oh. But you, but you knew that in your gut for whatever and, yeah. reason. But you're like, oh, I don't know. I don't really want to do that. Yeah. I, well, you know, I was God. I kept telling God, I can help you more, you know, in this way. Right. You want to be, you were studying to be a lawyer, right? I thought I would get a degree in political science and then oh, and go to law school. Yeah. Go to law school. And, and then, then once I got out of law school, you know, get into politics and right. yeah, eventually run for president. There you go. Yeah. There it is. I see nothing yeah. wrong with that. Well, and there's nothing wrong with it. It's just wasn't my path wasn't your path. Yeah. How'd you find out it wasn't your path? Because uh, <laughs> you started down that road. I start, well, see, at, at nine years of age, I was baptized. And when, you know, the pastor of the church asked me, why did I want to be baptized? I said, so because I love Jesus and because I want to be a preacher. And, hmm. and I think it was, I mean, I really believe it was pure at that point. And then a couple of years down the road, the preacher that baptized me, the church just made his life miserable. Oh, you saw the politics. Yeah, I almost had a nervous breakdown oh my gosh. and uh, ended up moving to California to, to get away from us. And, like, uh, I think yeah. about, there's people, there's yeah. emotions. Well, and so I loved him. He was mm-hmm. brilliant, brilliant man. But you didn't like what was happening to him because I, of it yeah, all. Yeah, just because, and I could see it. It was yeah. not because he was controversial. It was just because... They didn't want to do church the way he wanted it or the way that he understood church. And, you know, that's been my thing. And that's what I learned from him. And that I don't, and Paul, you know, the apostle Paul says this, I, I don't answer to anybody. I answer to God. Mm-hmm. And so, so that turned you off a little bit. It turned me off that they were just so mean to him and hurt him so bad in his family. But then he went and had this beautiful ministry right across the street from UCLA. Mm. And I got a chance in my thirties to go spend two weeks with him, just me and him mm. every day for like five hours. Wow. You know, That's and him just pouring into me, but uh, you know, and he shared some things with me that helped me to understand. And of course, a lot of stuff my dad had told me, you know, was that people don't define you. They can't, you know, because of that, I often say, just because you disagree with me does not mean I'm wrong. Mm. You know, so we live in a culture right now that says, you know, hey, if I disagree with you, you're wrong. And if the world disagrees with you, you're wrong. And that's not entirely true. It can be, but it's not entirely true. And I went to CIY, Christian Youth Conference. Before you were going to go. Yeah, I was going to go headed off to college. At the end of the summer, the guy that was speaking said, every day, you know, after this session, I want you to take your Bible. I want you to go out. I want you to just just sit alone. You know, I don't want you to be with anybody else. And I want you to just ask God what he wants you to do. What's Mm. the one thing that he made you for? What is your sweet spot, so to speak, you know? Gosh, I don't even know if I yeah, well, sit there and get you know, the tree with the Bible and Yeah, what well, what was funny, not funny, haha, funny, strange, is so you know, I go out there, first session. Yeah. Yeah, after the first session, I go out there. It's in Johnson City, Tennessee, on the campus of Milligan College. 
and sit on the side of a hill by myself, open the Bible, and right there, almost like you just randomly opened it. Yeah, just I just let it fall open. Okay, you know, mm-hmm. and then it says, "Preach the word in season and out of season." Preach. Yeah, preach. Yeah, preach the word. Preach the word. <laughs> and you took that as well. I knew that's what he wanted me to yes. do. How'd you grapple with that? You know, it was that was Monday afternoon, and it took till Thursday afternoon. Till Thursday, yeah. I was like, you know, yeah, I'm going to do this a few well, more times, and we'll yeah, see if we come yeah. on the same thing. And did you keep coming on the same thing? No, no, yeah. not on the same thing. But you know, it would be like, you know, I'd open the Bible, and it'd be Philip in telling the Ethiopian about Jesus from Isaiah 53, and just. Something along those lines, mm. you know, and kind of reiterating. Yeah. It. And then you know, on Thursday, you know, it says go into all the world and tell them the good news. You know, I had to ask myself, how can, how can you do that best? You know, what's the best way that George Dillard can do that? And I felt like it was, you know, I'd always been told I started teaching Sunday school for small children at 15. Yeah. And by the time I was 18, I was teaching an adult Sunday school class. Yeah. Yeah. And they were like, you just have a gift. You have a gift. Oh, so you had been peppered along the way. Well, I mean, yeah. They're like, you, and I even get this to this day. I mean, I think you've even said something similar that God has just gifted me with a way of explaining it that's different than a lot of other people. Well, it's it's just real. Yeah. You could just apply it. Yeah. And so. Call your dad and say. I call my dad. I said. My plan. Yeah. I said, so, hey, what would you say if I told you I was going to Atlanta Christian College and I was going to go into ministry? He said, well, I would say I'm glad you finally figured it out. Finally figured it out. Yeah. And and I love you and go to bed. At one thirty in the morning, you called he, your dad. Well, he had he opened the hardware store at seven. Oh, yeah, yeah. That's weird that you called him that late, huh? You just had to. Yes, I got you. Yeah, I had to. He had to know. And then you started your ministry. No regrets. Well, then I went to Bible college, which that was, oh yeah, yeah. That was an interesting experience because I went to Bible college and I didn't really fit in. I you didn't fit in. You were the football player guy. Yeah, I've been planning my whole life to play football right. for four years yeah and then the rest of life was going to come you know and yeah like for example when i went to atlanta christian college they had a rule that you couldn't wear jeans to class oh my but i didn't find that out until i'm sitting in orientation in jeans the week before classes start i mean i grew up in a hardware store yeah <laughs> i had one pair of dress pants oh gosh one pair that's stressful. I mean, I even wore jeans to church a lot, which was not, I mean, it wasn't popular in the seventies. Yeah. So I just went to the president of the college and went, I'm going to have to withdraw. Yeah. And he's like, why? And I went, I don't have it. I don't have enough money to pay y'all and to buy a new wardrobe. Wow. And so, wow. And so they changed the rules. Stop it. No, they changed the rules and let us wear you ended up changing the dress code. I changed the dress code. They let us <laughs> wear jeans for the first time to class if they were good, you know, if they were respectable gonna, jeans. Yeah. No patches, no holes. Nobody could, today could go. To, oh, yeah. paying everybody. Half these jeans are and empty, and I have to pay. Everybody for looks like they've been attacked by a wild dog or something. You know, I mean, yeah. <laughs> what? We got in a fight with a weed eater or something. I don't know. You know, it's. It's true. It's and you're paying more money yeah. and half the material's not there. Right. Yeah. It's bizarre. Okay. All right. So I go to Bible college. This is really, this is really funny. I go to Bible college and I take this class called homiletics. You know what homiletics is? No. Yeah. Most people don't. The definition of homiletics is the science of sermon construction and the systematic setting forth of an oral address. I had to learn. Oh, wow. Yeah. I had to learn. That. It's like public speaking. Yeah. It's, ministry. Yeah. Wow. So well, that sounds kind of cool. Yeah. So it's in, it's this is like 1978. You're in class mm-hmm. and you got all your peers. Mm-hmm. You're preaching. And they had a video recorder, one of those gigantic oh. boxes. And they recorded it and then they played it back in front of your peers and everybody critiqued you. 
Oh. While you're sitting in the room. Oh. Yeah. So I preached my sermon. It was supposed to be 15 minutes. It was seven and a half. Ooh. Longest seven and a half minutes of my life. <laughs> uh, it was horrible. Was it horrible? It was. It was terrible. And Did the, everybody else think it was horrible? Oh, yeah. Oh, oh, yeah. oh. But the, the professor said, uh, he's got a good voice. Uh, he has a good voice. He really has a good voice. I mean, that's the only positive thing. Maybe we can dress up this pig. Well, so, so, and I'm like, I'm like, God, what are you doing? Yeah. You know? Did you doubt? You, you maybe go to Bible college and now, you know, they're going to kick me out because I, I stink. And so I went back to the dorm and I'm sitting there in my room and back in those days, it's pay phones in the hall and the phone rings and this guy comes to my door and says, Dr. Hay, we'd like to speak to you on the phone. I'm like, great, man. They're not even been two hours, you know, and he's going to kick And Dr. Hay is who? The homilies professor. Oh, the professor. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And so he goes, can you come to my office? He knew, he knew you were like. Yeah. So I went to his office. In a weird way. And he said, son. He goes, look, you learned a very valuable lesson today. I went, yeah, I stink. And he goes, no, it's not about you. Mm. Never has been, never will be. It's about Jesus. And what you have to do is you love Jesus. You trust Jesus and he'll take care of it. Seek first the kingdom of God, then his righteousness, and then everything else will line up. And so I went. Back to class the next day and stayed in Bible college. Wait, you're graduated. supposed to have faith that it'll all just come together. Is that? No. Not. Is that what he's saying to you? No. What he's saying to me is to trust God in his process. Okay. See, he had to teach How me does something. that help you not get in the class? Well, it, it wasn't, it, to me, it wasn't about passing the class. It was about doing my best. Okay. And I thought my best relied on me. Oh. Yeah. Say, and I mean, how can I communicate the wisdom of God? And that's what you had to figure out. Yeah. And not because I'm talented, not because I'm gifted. You know, there are a lot of people out there way, way more gifted than I am. But it's one of my friends used to introduce me. He said, this is George Stillard. He's crazy as can be, but he loves Jesus more than anybody I know. Hmm. And, you know, I've determined a long time ago that, when it comes to that last day here, yeah, then there's only two things that matter, who you love uh-huh. and who loves you. Okay. Hey, that's it. Because love's the only thing you're going to take out of here. Love's the only thing you're going to leave here. Because you may leave your kids $400 million, but eventually it'll be gone. Yeah, everything goes right away. Except for love. Because God is love, therefore love is eternal. That's why Jesus said, here's... Here, you guys want to know how to truly be my followers? Love one another. Yeah. Yeah. By this will people know that you belong to me if you have love one for the other. And as I have shared with you before, my dad taught me that you owe the same respect to the janitor as the CEO. Absolutely. I grew up that that way. It doesn't matter what you do. People matter. You can love people. Yeah. Just love people. Okay. All right. So you're doing it, and you've. how long have you actually been preaching? Well, I was ordained on June 13th, 1982. So. Oh, we're almost. Four days. It'll be 40 years. 40 years. Yeah. Any regrets? No. None. None. I guess the only regret I got is I didn't meet Renee sooner. Oh, yeah. his beautiful wife. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. She wasn't part. ready to meet you. Sir. No, I wasn't ready to meet her. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I was, I was still learning, mm-hmm. still growing, but uh, I love Jesus. I love the church and it's tough, but, uh, so is only in the restaurant, <laughs> you know, but a different kind of tough, a different kind of tough. But we, my husband and I have, he's come around to this, but it's almost like a ministry. Yeah, it is. Because we've helped sure. so many people on their path. Well, that's why I said, whatever you do in word or deed, do it as for the Lord. See, here's the thing. And this, I've tried to share this with people for a long, long time, but it seems to be resonating with people more and more, especially once they found out the last couple of years, guess what? If I don't go to the office, the world isn't falling apart. But anyway, so 
I can tell people things about Jesus that you have not even discovered yet. You know, I've been afforded the opportunity to study the Bible mm. every day for multiple hours, you know, for years. Right. For and over all the 40 years. All the different takes yeah. on it. And right. So I did a, you know, Carrie Cottrell, don't mm -hmm. you? Yeah. So Carrie, friend of ours, she was in a Bible study with me one time and I did like 30 minutes on two verses in first Corinthians. And when the class was over, Carrie goes, I just feel dumb. And I went, why? And she goes, there's no way I would have got that out of, you know, that. Just reading it. And I went, yeah. so Carrie, how much time do you get to spend in the Bible every day? And she told me, and I said, you know, honestly, I spent most of my life spending more time in the Bible in a day than you do in a week. Yeah. Yeah. And I said, and that's not me and bragging. You're, and you're dissecting it. That's not me bragging. Right. That's the way God said he's appointed some to preach and some to teach. Yeah. And so here's the thing, though. I can share all kind of stuff with people that they've never thought of before, but only if they come here. See? And so you and your husband can reach people in that restaurant that are not going to come here yet. They may. Mm -hmm. because of the relationship that you have with them mm -hmm. and eventually where you lead them to. But I would, on an everyday walking around the world kind of basis, I wouldn't have any contact with those people, you know? Right. And that's where you, where that's you and I were talking yesterday. I was like, well, yeah, but if you had become president, imagine the platform you would have had, right? And reaching all the people. And your comment to me was, I can do as much, if not more good sitting in here because everyone that's in here goes out. It's like a ripple effect. Yeah. Right. Well, and not only that, but I can't, as the president of the United States, as you well know. Oh, it gets very gobbledy. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's, it's kind of a it, thing. It, you know, I don't here, here's the thing I tell people, it's all about give and take, you know, and you can only take so much. And you can only give so much and mm -hmm. you've got to have people, regardless of what they say, what the rhetoric is during the election cycle, you got to have people who agree with you and disagree with you, who can get along with you, you know, and they, you have handlers and censors. And yeah. I mean, you try to have a meeting with the president, mm. you know, it's not going to happen. Right. Uh, you're right. And so there's only, honestly, there's only a few people that really know what that individual really thinks. Right. And so he, and I, I doubt that any of them in the last 25, 30 years have really just completely opened up and been absolutely transparent and said, Hey, right. this is the way I live. This is what I think. Right. Okay. And I mean, you know, you, you've been here. I, you're transparent. You know, I'm what you see is what you get. Which I, is one I, of the reasons it's so good. Well, thank you. But I try to be today on Thursday what I am on Sunday. Yeah. And I try to be on Sunday what I am on Monday. Mm -hmm. You know, because that's one of the things that I've always believed is that I can't tell you something that I don't know or believe in, you know. Okay. Since you opened that door. Yeah. So how do you know for certain that there is a God? And that there is a Jesus. Good question, right? Yeah, it's a good question. And really believe that the complexity of the creation. The whole universe thing, right? Yeah, that demand, yeah demands a creator. <laughs> One of the many reasons for this podcast is to collect, connect, and share information that will add to your life. It is my honor and pleasure to share products with you that I buy, use, and believe in that are high quality, sustainable, responsible to our earth, and that actually work. One product I have been using for almost a year now, every day, and now twice a day with the diagnosis of my Lyme disease is collagen. Collagen is a buzzword right now because collagen is a protein that makes up 30% of our bodies. And like everything else, as we age, we lose it. Fine lines, brittle nails, Dull hair, achy joints, dry skin are all part of why collagen is so essential. So let me share why Elaine Collagen, the brand I use, is in my opinion more effective than what's out there on those shelves. It is easy to use, tasteless, and dissolves into any beverage. 
It's non-GMO and it's from cows raised in Spain and no chemicals are used for its extraction. Bingo, speak in my language. You can experience the benefits for yourself and receive 15% off by using the code SECONDWIND, all one word, at checkout at elainewellness.com. And if you want to know more about Elaine and her Second Wind story, listen to her episode. The title is Plot Twist. There's no such thing as anti-aging from March 15, 2021. Now, back to the episode. I don't think it's an accident. I may not understand it all. You know, I certainly don't, but I don't understand a lot of things. I don't understand trigonometry. Mm. You know, I'm like, let's just do math, you know, <laughs> but, uh, just because I don't understand it doesn't mean it's so or not so. Right. Well, how do you tell somebody like me, for example, if it was somebody like me okay, who wants to believe, who finds solace in doing the right thing, believing that there is that law of attraction, what you put out is what you get back, all yeah. that stuff, right? And as I'm walking in the woods Which with my the, friend, she's like, you know, that's actually religion, what you're saying. Yeah, actually, I, I like, was going to say all of that stuff is in the, is, is the Bible, Bible, right? Yeah. Which I didn't know. And, yeah. and I go, oh, and then I heard this, and then I did that. She goes, that's in Yeah. I'm like, yeah. oh, yeah. it is? Yeah. Maybe I need to rethink. Yeah. So what do you tell somebody like me? Well, I guess for me, the biggest thing is that the Bible and everything in it inches on the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Okay. Okay. Because. Which is a story that well, we're being told. Oh, okay. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So there's this thing that changes everything. Okay? okay. Because Paul says, because of the resurrection, we say death, where's your victory? Grave, where's your sting? Okay. Because all the venom, you know, all the teeth has been pulled out of death. You know, it's not, okay. it's not something to be feared. Now it's just a doorway. Yeah, that's what you said yesterday. Yeah. It's a doorway. Yeah. I'm like, ooh, I like that. Yeah. And I know human nature. And let's say you're involved in a group, organization, whatever you want to call it, and you know what they're putting out there is not true. Mm -hmm. But it's doing good. It's helping people. It's making a difference. Okay. But then the authorities come, okay, they say, shut up or we're going to kill you. And they've already killed some of your friends in the group. Hmm. Okay. So what do you do? You stop talking or you just keep on? Well, that's the thing. You look back and you find all these people that kept talking. And I'm like, gosh, it would have been a lot easier. If you just did it on your own and believed what you believed, but didn't go out and yell it. And then you wouldn't have died. But see, Isn't that horrible that I think? But yeah. I think that. But, I mean, no, no, it's not horrible. A lot of people think it's, yeah, self-preservation is, is the way that most of humanity thinks. But here's the thing. Well, would it hurt to just say, okay, fine. And but you don't have to like, you're not writing it in your blood with them. You're just saying, yeah, okay, I'll be quiet now. And but in your privacy room home, you can do what you want. Well, then that's not moral or ethical, is it? Oh, uh, okay. So here's these guys, these 11 guys. Yes. They're scared to death. Mm -hmm. They're in hiding. Mm -hmm. And then something happens. And they're standing in the temple. And they're saying the same Jesus whom you've crucified. God has made him both king and savior. Okay. Mm -hmm. So the people that orchestrated Jesus's trial, okay, and his execution, grab them, pull them out of the temple, take them into a courtroom and say, if you don't stop talking about Jesus resurrection, then we're going to put you to death. And they're like, well, go ahead. Cause see death. Ah, oh, it's so brave. Well, death is not a thing. It's a doorway. See, that, here's the thing. This is where you have to get, Wendy, is they can't take something from you that they don't own, that they can't own, right? Which you would say, I is believe is your, your soul life. and your yeah. spirit. Yeah. My, my life this, belongs. This goes away. My, my life belongs to Jesus. They can't take something from me that they can't possess. They take my money, take my phone, take my car, you know, and as Rodney Dangerfield said, take my wife, please. No, I'm just, you know, but they can take a lot of things, but they can't take my life because. Yeah, it's like people who sit in a, in a prison cell for years on years and years and then stay positive, like in the Stoics, Marcus Aurelius. And, yeah. And all these people who find 
philosophy is to answer the questions, right? And it's within them. So just ask yourself, what gives, what moves somebody from being in hiding mm. to standing up and pointing at the people that they've been hiding from and saying, this same Jesus whom you crucify, God has made him both king and savior. See, I know human nature, and I know this. People will die for a lot of things, but they will not die for a lie that they know is a lie, right? Right. And oh, I, so you're saying, ding, ding, ding. You're saying that people were willing and have die. been willing to die. Because they knew. Because they believe it's the truth. No, they know it's the truth. They know it's the truth. Yeah. Interesting. So. What has been, I'm sure there's many, but. What's the one, have you had like one big takeaway from your 40 years? If you could only name one thing about your 40-year history of preaching, what would that be? Uh, blameless. Blameless. Yeah. Explain. Explain that. Okay. So I'm an athlete or was. <laughs> Somebody said, you need to get in shape. I said, this is a shape. <laughs> Not a good one, but it is. Yeah. So I was an athlete and I can honestly say, Played football, baseball, basketball, ran track, played golf, shot archery. Never had a perfect match. Never had a perfect game. Not personally. Mm -hmm. Okay. Never had a perfect. I can guarantee you this. Uh, when I walked onto the court, when I walked onto the field, and I was giving you everything I had. Mm -hmm. That's the difference between perfect and blameless. See, I can honestly stand before God and say, I did my mm -hmm. best. It may not have been good enough, but it's all I had to get. See, Jesus is standing in the temple treasury and people are coming in. They're dropping all these large sums of money, you know, in. This woman weaves her way through the crowd. She drops two copper coins in the treasury. And Jesus says, hey, hey guys, I want you to see something. This woman gave more than everybody here. And, you know, like I said, I've studied human nature quite a bit and i know i've looked at peter's response to a lot of things and i can almost hear the apostle peter going well jesus i'm no mathematician but that bag that that dude dropped in with all those coins in it was a lot more than those two proper coins and jesus says see that's the problem and this is a paraphrase of course jesus says see that's the problem you're looking at the amount not the heart that gave see? yeah he gave out of his abundance. She gave everything she had to live on. Okay. Mm. So the thing is, it, it's not even about us doing the same thing. It's about us doing our best. And, you know, when I have an opportunity to teach or to share, to pre, then I'm doing, I'm giving my best. And that's all anybody can do. And, you know, the scripture teaches us that we're to be blameless. And what that means is that I can honestly walk off the court and say, I did my best. You know, I like to tell the story. A few years ago, my son was in sixth grade. He came home. He said, I want to set the record for the mile, sixth grade, my school. Okay. And I said, okay, what do you got to do? He said, I got to shave like 29 seconds off my mile. Oh, it's a lot. Well, I said, I know how to do that. Really? Really? Uh, yeah. Just to run track. He goes, how do I do it? I said, run harder. Yeah. He goes, I thought you were going to help. And I said, no. Well, he goes, you probably thought you were going to train him a little well, bit, Well, he goes, right? I thought you were going to help me because I am running as hard as I can. I said, oh, really? He goes, yeah, I run as hard as I can. I said, so when you cross the finish line, when you cross the timeline, you go over to the infield, you fall on your knees, and you throw up. And he goes, no. And I went, well, then you're not running as hard as you can. Okay, can we just, just so you know. Yeah. It's bizarre that you just said that because I was talking to my coach. And she was telling me, well, Wendy, you know, you keep circling it back around the same thing. We keep talking about the same stuff. You're just not going where you need to go. You're just not headed in that direction. You're not, I forget, yeah. but then, but. Not but, all in. Not all in. And I yeah. think, you know, it's really interesting. And it made me think of a track analogy. I ran track. Right. That I would run the mall and I went to the States in the mall. I did all that. But my coach was always on my butt because I would somehow that last 200. Yeah. I would be like, oh, I'm almost done. Good. And I would turn on the gas. Yeah. And that's when I would make my moves and, oh, you know, and when the race or come in second or whatever it was, and my coach would, and I'd be like, yeah. And then we get the points and the, and he'd be like, 
You should not have that much gas at the end okay. of the rink. Right. You're not. It's okay to have some gas. Yeah. As, as you can. can. Right. And I'm like, I wonder how that applies in my life. Am I turning off the gas too? Am I not turning on the gas soon enough because I'm afraid of what will happen at the end? Right. Collapsing at the end. Yeah. Look. Will I not believe because I'm afraid of what I'll see? Yeah. I don't know. Well, see, that's, you know, yeah. So what's interesting is I said, then you're not running as hard as you can. Yeah. You know, you're not. And uh, so he. But that's not what we want to hear. But yeah. So he went off. He was kind of upset. Yeah. And then a week later, he comes in and he goes, I set the mile. I set the record in the mile. I said, you did? He said, I sure did. I said, did you cross the timeline, go over the end field and throw up? He said, I sure did. <laughs> <laughs> and so, you know. It, oh, that's interesting. Yeah. So. Wow. Uh, here's the thing. And I went. But none of us really want to throw up. Yeah. But here's the thing. At the end. Everybody says, save for the future, save for the future, save for the future. When it comes, well, that's in context. When it, comes, when it comes to wealth, you know, yeah. and everything. And I'm like, why? But if there is no f- future. Well, oh, the unknown yeah. is the unknown. Yeah, but, but see, here's the thing. If I believe what I say, I believe. Mm-hmm. And as James says in his letter to the church, if you encounter somebody who is cold and hungry, you can't just say to them, we'll be warm and be filled. You actually have to give them some food and give them a jacket. And so if I'm sitting there with half a million and a bank account waiting for the end, and there are people in Guatemala living on $7 a week, and I can give them a house for $1,500, mm-hmm. you know, what good is it going to do me to save that money? Not saying you shouldn't be able to take care of yourself. Right? Yeah, but I mean, but really? what? Yeah, to what, to what extent? Look, to what extent? Yeah. yeah. You know. How much do you really need versus how much do you really want? Of course, yeah. A lot of the younger audience maybe that might view this won't probably won't even know who Howard Hughes is. But <laughs> at one time, Howard Hughes was wealthier than all but two nations in the world. An individual. An I didn't individual, know that. yeah. I didn't know that. And somebody asked him one time, Howard, how much money is enough? Ooh. He said, one more dollar. Wow. What good does it profit somebody if they gain everything in the world and give up their soul? Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I fight about it all the time, people. I'm like, yeah, I don't have a lot in sight, but. So are you, do you believe in the rainy day theory? Yeah, I have enough, rains. But I have enough to like, in case something bad happens so you can, do you believe in that? You don't? No. Really? Yeah, really. Is that because you have faith that everything just kind of works out? I believe I have big I told Renee this the other day. I said, we have big challenges, but we have a bigger God. Yeah. Well, let me ask you this. Do you believe with the big talk on the town? And I've had people on my podcast before who are like, manifest your destiny, manifest your happiness. This is how. Follow this. Follow that. You know, do your affirmations every morning. What you think is what happens. Happiness is a choice. Okay. You know. I love, my dad used to tell this joke I used to love. He said, you know, there's a little boy, a father who had two sons. Mm-hmm. One little boy was an optimist, one was a pastor. Okay. You know, so he said, can you help with this? Yeah, I said, sure. Bring him down here. I'll, I'll straighten him out in a couple of hours. So he takes a little pastor, puts him in this room full of brand new toys, not even out of the boxes. Okay. Yeah. Says, have fun. Takes a little optimist, puts him in a room. With a pile of horse manure. Okay. Says, have fun. Close the door. An hour later, they go by. Little pessimist is sitting there. Nothing's open. I said, why didn't you open? Why didn't you open some toys? He said, they'll just break. Oh. Yeah. They won't. What's yeah. the use? Yeah. They go in to the, where the little optimist is. They don't see. They call his name. He pops up out of the pile of manure. <laughs> said, what are you doing? He goes, with this much manure, there's got to be a pony in here somewhere. Oh my gosh, that's yeah. a good one. Yeah. So. Oh my gosh. Yes. Yeah. Happiness is a choice. I mean, it's, you know. It's not about creating. It's about deciding that yeah. you're happy. Yeah. So do you believe in that whole. My op- wife asked me just a couple of months ago, did you ever, ever feel like you're just completely overwhelmed? Mm-hmm. Good question. And I said, no. Why? Because it's bigger than me. Mm-hmm. You know? God's got it. And, 
you know, if God wants it to go, it'll go. If he doesn't, it won't. I can't make it go. I can't make it stop. And so I just enjoy the ride. Honestly say I'm going in that direction. Yeah. Whatever happens, yeah. you just go with it. Whatever. Whatever. Yeah. With no judgment. Yeah. Right? Yeah. It I, doesn't mean it's bad or good. It just is. It is. You know, I genuinely don't dislike anybody. I mean, there's some yeah. people I prefer not to spend any time with. Well, yeah, no, no, no. You know, I mean, because but there's you know, an aura and there's a yeah, thing yeah. We're we're not, you know, I'm not going to hang out with you. We're up in banks every. Right. It's just not. But you know, I associate with all kinds of people. You know, and it shocks people in the church sometimes. See that? Uh, I don't understand. Yeah, they're like, why? Why would that shock anyone? You know, this person is. I went, yeah. But the person on the inside is what you're focusing on. Well, but here's the thing, even if they're not where they need to be. Right. Maybe you're supposed to go, come into their life for you yeah, to get how them they there. Go, how they're going to get there unless you show them. Exactly. Exactly. You could wave your magic wand. There you go. And fix something. Yeah. One thing. If I could. What would it be? I know I'm good, right? No. Yeah. I just, <laughs> I think it would be the people would just quit being me. Oh, fix the brokenness of people. That would be mine. Well, yeah, I mean, we can't fix their brokenness. Jesus is the only, can, the only one who can and will. But I just don't understand people. Yeah, I see people pick on people. And when we were in Bible college, we had this guy in the dorm, and he clearly had some issues. And it's not very athletic. We were playing football out in the front, and this one guy just kept abusing him. Verbally, you mean? No. Oh, like, physically? Yeah, on the football field. Oh. You know, just knocking just him down. Just him. Yeah, because he didn't know how to square himself and everything. And so halfway through the game, knocked his tail into the holly bushes that were on the side of the field. We were playing in the front yard at the dorm. And somebody said, that's not very Christian. And I was like, no, I don't know. Defending the weak, pretty Christian, you know. And so that's where I came up with this analogy. You know, here's the thing. Tell the truth. Tell the whole story. Just be honest. Be transparent. If your house was on fire and I went running in and said, come on, Wendy, let's go. House is on fire. And you said, no, I'm okay. And we argued the house was more and more on fire and everything. And finally, I just punched you right in the head, knocked you out and carried you out in the yard as the house collapsed. Yeah. You know, saved your life, right? Yeah. Now, that's a pretty cool story. Yeah. But what if you go around telling the story, you know, George Dillard came in my house uninvited, punched me in the head, and left me lying in my front yard. That's a different version. It's all true. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's how you look at it. It's where you're coming from and how you look at it. Right. Everybody's got a talk. Everybody's got a story, and most of them are tough. And but, most of them aren't true. Well, the stories we tell ourselves no, aren't I'm necessarily not, true. Well, but what I'm saying is everybody's fighting a hard battle. Okay. You know? And so we live in a culture, I've said this before, we live in a culture where the 15-second soundbite rules. Mm-hmm. See? And what I mean by that is, say I walk into McGuire down in Sonoy, mm-hmm. you know, and you just dropped a glass. And picked it up and cut your hand. Okay. And somebody says to you, hey, Wendy, can you do this trivial thing? And you go, not right now. (laughs) Okay. I understand that. Right? Okay. You're in pain. You know. I'm profusely bleeding all over the floor. Right. You you got all kind of things going on. Yeah. But I just walked in the restaurant and I go out and go, Wendy. What up? Yeah, man. She's She's tough. She's yelling at her employees. Oh, yeah. I can see. See? Empathy. Yeah. You have to understand. Yeah, just quit being me. Yeah. Okay. And my last question. Okay. Is there anything that you wish you could change about your path that you've been on? My personality is such, I wish I, you know, I, I would like to have gotten there quicker. Mm. But then I have got what quicker. You're just, where you are. Yeah, just where I am. Me- physically, mentally, in your okay. Me too. Yeah, I mean, I wish I knew the stuff I knew now. Yeah, wish I knew now. 
what I didn't know then. Yeah. I wish I'd do then what I yeah, that owe thing. now. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Man, the time I would have saved and the people I would have well, helped but, and maybe. But again, them. see, that's part of the path. Right. You have to learn. Yeah. Right? And some of us have to learn in different ways, in different speeds. Here's the thing, and this is one of the things I tell the church all the time. It's all about direction. Okay. It's never about speed. Mm-hmm. Okay. Speed is relative. Direction is definitive. See, and I illustrate that to people by saying, all right, if we both decide to go out that door over there and one of us goes this direction, mm-hmm. immediately we know you're going in the wrong direction. It's definitive. Direction is definitive. Okay. But if I run over to the door and you take one step every 30 seconds. Still going to get to the door. We're still moving to the door. Mm-hmm. See? And as long as you move toward the door, you're moving toward the goal. Okay. See, and what's fast to you may not be fast to me. You know, I tell people all the time, you know what the snail said, riding on the tortoise's back, don't you? We, you know, <laughs> so speed is relative, right? <laughs> yeah. So, so speed is relative. Speed is relative. So God is interested in direction, not speed. And do you believe we have to pray? I don't believe we have to. I believe I get to say I have the privilege of walking into the presence of the creator of the universe and telling him what is on my heart and what I'm struggling with. And, and how do you know he's listening? Because he said he would. Okay. But how do you know? I don't, well. Because like, how do you pray and know? Yeah. I mean, how do you know I'm listening? Because you're answering my questions. Oh, he answers your okay. problem. The problem is not that God doesn't answer. The problem is. Sometimes he answers with answers we don't want him to give. Much like you reaching. Yeah. Well, some like, maybe somewhat. But, you know, yes is an answer. No is an answer. Wait is an answer. Not right now is an answer. And are those the things you feel like your intuition and your gut, those are the feelings you get? I'll tell you a story. And it's just one event in our lives. So this church here at Peachtree City asked me to come here and you know, be part of the staff. And so I came up, talked to them and everything. And on a Monday morning, it was fairly obvious that they were going to ask me to come. Okay. But Renee was a public school teacher and we relied on her teaching in the public school system to provide our family with insurance. Right. Health insurance. Mm -hmm. And so I said, well, maybe you need to go get a job. You know, maybe you need to Look for a job. So on Monday morning, we got in the car, my parents' house in Fairbury, drove to Calvary County. We're in shorts. We walk in, and the lady up front says, can I help you with something? And Renee said, I'd like to get an application for employment. She goes, well, honey, what grades are you certified in? She said, fourth through eight. She said, well, there's a principal back here going through resumes. Would you like to talk to him? Renee said, sure. So we, I know Renee though, she probably was like, but I'm not dressed appropriately. So we go back, the teacher at his school had come in on Friday and said, Hey, my husband got transferred. I'm out. And he said, don't worry. God will provide somebody on Monday. We walk in within 45 minutes of walking in the door to pick up an application. Renee has a job with insurance, with insurance, which I had said, God, if you really want us, if you really want me here. You want me to make this move? Then provide Renee with a position. So I went oh, out. I said that. Yeah. Yeah. So I went out and got in the car, looked up through the sunroof, and I said, Lord, I ask you to open the door and not throw me through it. <laughs> okay. Yeah, because how could you say no now? Yeah. So here I said, 30 here. years later. 30 years later. Yeah. Wow. And what do you see in the future? Running hard. Yeah. How long do you want to do this? As long as I can. As long as you can. Yeah. You don't get tired of every Sunday. No, I don't. Really? Yeah. I mean, you've got grandchildren. You've got a busy I, yeah. family. I got a great, great life. Yeah. Yeah. It doesn't get old. I guess one, you know, one of the, no, one of the things I'm most proud of, Wendy, is that my kids love the church and love Jesus. Do yeah. both of your daughters work in here and your son works in here too, right? Well, they, Kinda. yeah, they volunteer. All of them volunteer. One of them is on staff, right. but, but she's also a public school teacher. Okay. So she's kind of what they call bivocational. 
in ministry. But she's, man, they're all great people. A lot of preachers, kids don't love the church, but you know, it was for me, it was never, I had to do stuff. I got to do it. it. Yeah. And uh, back to the same old, the same old, same old thing. It's amazing. Well, it's different, but it's who I am. I love Jesus. He, I don't deserve what he offers. I think we all do. Isn't that what we're supposed to believe? Am I wrong? Yeah. I mean, that's where you got to come to. Okay. How can I? I just shared with somebody recently, if you just did one sin a day and you live to the age of seven. One sin a day? One sin a day. Just one sin a day. Just one, one thing that you said, man, I should have done that. Okay. Okay. One, if your age of accountability is 12 and you live to be 72, that would be 21,900 cents. It's a lot. Yeah. So, you know, if you had 21,900 speeding tickets. Mm. Would you say you're a good driver? Yeah. You know? And so people say, well, I'm a pretty good person. Well, you know, it's good. It's got nothing to do with it. See, and how much good is good enough? Right. I don't deserve grace. I don't deserve mercy. I don't deserve forgiveness, but he still offers it. And so I'm going to take it. Okay. Well, thank you so much for your time. Oh, thank you. I love, love chatting with you about and you'll chat with anybody and that's what's so great yeah. about you yeah. anybody has a question I'm like yeah i kind of want to learn about this praying thing and the whole god thing and you're like anytime anytime yeah. so thank you for giving your time so graciously to thanks me for doing this and the yeah. wind and i hope the sound works and we do too yeah but if it doesn't we come back and do it again do it again right but this was really good uh, and i believe everything that you said is supposed to be said and it will affect people. I hope so. I do. You know, I tell you, Wendy, and I tell other people, I love you, you know, and sometimes people go, well, you don't really know me. How can you love me? And this is what I ask. Just consider this. We live in a world that says that humans can hate each other and not know each other. That's true. So why can't we love each other without knowing each other? I agree. I agree. But I know you. <laughs> and I do love you. Yeah. I love you too. And thank you so much. Yeah, Until thank next you. time, breathe in your second wind. Thank you for listening today. I hope that something you heard made you smile, made you think, and made you feel. If these incredible stories empowered you, awakened you, or left you feeling inspired, make sure to share with a friend and write us a review on iTunes so we can continue to change lives through this content. Make sure you tag us while you're listening on our Facebook group, My Second Wind, or hit the link in the show notes to join the conversation. Until next time, go ahead and breathe in your second wind.